you know, rock collecting, crystal collecting doesn't have to be a really expensive hobby. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to break the bank. You don't have to buy, you know, you don't have to start with the Amethyst Geos if you're going to start with collecting crystals. You could go and see if there's any in a riverbed near you. You could go and look at some rock faces. Hi, I'm Gemma Petherbridge, and this is the Crystal Mystery School podcast. Whether you are new to crystals, have a large collection, or work in the industry, this is a place for you to awaken, remember, and explore your love for the crystal kingdom. Hi everybody and welcome back. This is the third episode of our rebranded podcast. So welcome to the Crystal Mystery School. I hope you are enjoying the fact that we are now fully focused on all things crystals. Now, when I was considering topics that I wanted to offer with this new particular theme, I knew that I wanted to bring in more geology and information about how crystals are formed and how that also impacts how we work with them and of course how we would find and source crystals. Now when I had that train of thought there was one person that came to mind straight away and that is Emily from Rockshop Wholesale and today Emily is back with us to offer everything that I've just said. It's such a powerful information heavy episode. I know you're going to love it so here she is. Enjoy. Emily welcome back. How are you? Hi Gemma, I'm good thank you. How are you? I'm good. Honestly it's lovely to see you again. Yes, you um, too. Those who may not know, we're going to do a little intro about who Emily is in a moment, but basically you've already appeared on our podcast. Last time I did a section on crystals, you were one of the lovely people who joined us to speak about that. We're back speaking about crystals again. So you got such beautiful feedback last time. It was like you're definitely on the list to come oh. back and speak again. Different topic. You're still, I know, at the Rock Shop, which we will introduce in a moment, Rock Shop Wholesale. So we'll be speaking about them, what they do. But also this time, we're acknowledging a little bit more of your background as a geologist. And I know as soon as I say that, people are going to be like, oh, finally, because this is the information that isn't always in the crystal books that we love. So that's where we're going today. Okay, so can we start with you introducing Rockshop Wholesale, who they are and how our listeners maybe would need them in their lives? Yes, absolutely. So Rockshop Wholesale are a mineral, crystal and fossil wholesaler. Um, we have an online website and we have a showroom at our headquarters in West Yorkshire. Um, we Our main sourcing etiquette and ethos is based around conscientious sourcing. So we very much put an emphasis on taking care of the people that we source from, making sure that everything is sourced correctly and ethically um, and with conscientiousness in mind. Um, yeah. Brilliant. And what kind, so this is wholesale, isn't it? So a little flag up, I will definitely link back to the previous episode where we really go into what a crystal wholesaler is, but this is very much for trade customers, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So you can buy from us if you have a, a business, basically. So you register for a trade account with us and we will be your wholesaler. So you, if you're a retailer or maybe a, a, a massage therapist or an artist or you own a business in some capacity, you can source from us as a wholesaler. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. And then let's transition over to you sharing a bit about yourself and your backstory. Lovely, thank you. So uh, I'm a geologist. I studied geology for about seven years in the end. I started studying geology when I was about 14. I was very lucky to take a geology GCSE, which is quite rare in Britain, actually, mm, um, all the way through to I studied uh, at the University of Birmingham and graduated with a bachelor's degree in geology. So that's when I when I joined Rock Shop. That was where I was coming from, coming from very much a geologist standpoint and perspective. Um, and at Rock Shop, I do some of the geology stuff I also do the website and the social media and some purchasing and things like that super busy basically <laughs> really busy all different aspects <laughs> of working with crystals okay so what I love about this is you and I are coming we both have a passion for crystals we both love crystals and we're coming from almost opposite sides but not mm. at the same time it is actually completely complementary isn't it mm. could you start with the um well I'm going to ask you the classic crystal question to begin, literally, what is your favourite crystals? <laughs> so, well, I normally get what's my favourite rock. So it's much 
more interesting stuff. There you go. What's your favorite crystal? <laughs> There's a difference. So, well, I wrote down three because I couldn't, I really can't narrow it down. Mm. Probably, I really like amethyst. I've always liked amethyst. That's been my birthstone. I'm an Aquarius. So, yeah, and it, everyone knows that one. Um, and then probably since working at Rock Shop, I really like citrine. I like the natural coloring um, and cacoxonite, which I've only recently come across, mm. actually. Um, so cacoxonite is an iron aluminium phosphate mineral uh, and you often get it growing in amethyst. So you get little gold fan-like crystals growing inside of amethyst points. And I just think it's beautiful. It's one of my favourites. That's lovely. <laughs> I have not heard of that. I'm so shocked. it's I try and make sure I've heard of every crystal. I'm like straight away, there's one to Google in a second. <laughs> so it's known, I believe it's also known as Super 7. Oh, there we go. There, there I am. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't worry. There you are. <laughs> that might be the branded name, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I've just... Yeah, I wondered. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, so that's the, your crystals that you love the most. Going back to the 14-year-old you, what was it that drew you to, to crystals slash, we'll say, rocks now that got you into the industry? Well, I, I've been asked that so many times. And honestly, I really... I really think that people are born geologists and it's not something that happens to them. It just, they are just set out for that. And when I, even when I was tiny, I used to collect rocks on beaches when we, when we were on holiday, when I was a kid, I was busy off collecting rocks somewhere if, if we'd gone out for the day. And it just, honestly, it just stemmed from there, really. I, it was never really a question about what I was going to study or look into in the future. It, it was just, that that was always what I was going to do I was a born geologist <laughs> I love that do you think that was an energy like you said that potentially people have I agree there is definitely this some of us are born with this is what I'm doing end of story is that an heir to geologists are they like do you feel that they are remembering their childhood days and it's coming through maybe I'd say I think every geologist I've ever met would say the same thing that when they were tiny they had a little rock collection and um, where they wanted to collect things on the beach I think that is unanimous amongst mm -hmm. geologists and you do just it picks you and there's nothing you can do about it once that happens <laughs> and again there is this similarity um with me I obviously crystals first crystal healing first but now because I feel like I'm content with this for so much time with crystals, I'm naturally more interested in what's beneath my feet, what's going on in the buildings around mm. us, those energies. So it's like we're going to swap because you're sort of sometimes moving into crystal, the information of crystal healing, aren't you? Kind of understanding mm. that aspect just out of interest. Yes. And yeah. therefore I'm kind of stepping into your area going... <laughs> Okay, what's that aspect of it? Which is kind of why we're doing this interview, isn't it? So people yes. can explore those areas. Okay, so once you'd finished your geology degree, had that changed your passion for crystal? I want to say crystal slash rocks every time now. So I'm saying the right thing. Like, how had it progressed it, or changed it, or just heightened it more for you? I think I definitely. By the time I was in the third year of my degree, I was doing very strict disciplinary science modules so I, I did a lot of geophysics my dissertation focused on geophysics and geochemistry um so it did yeah it did further it I think once I had the academic background for it I then had the tools to I thought yes this this is what I'm going to do yeah brilliant okay and at this moment we are going to deep dive into a topic <laughs> that I think everybody is going to be very excited about so I'm going to go more quiet because I think we need to give Emily the room to enjoy this moment. So we are going to look at crystal. Well, what, what I phrased as crystal geology 101, because this is the things that we don't obviously get told with crystal healing, which is we then end up all of us wanting to know mm. how these beauties appeared in the world. So mm. over to you, Emily. I can't mm. wait for this. Thank you in advance. <laughs> right. Well. I hope it lives up to your expectations. <laughs> so, well, um, I'm going to break it down. I'm going to discuss some terminology first, and then I'm going to break it down into what I'm sure most people will have heard of, which is the, the rock classification of igneous, metamorphic, and sedimentary. So for, for terminology, so I think often 
in this sphere, perhaps crystals, minerals, rocks are all kind of used interchangeably as language. So I'll just I'll try and define those a bit further. These are also some of these definitions are loose in the dictionary and they're still being changed a bit and they're still so you know sometimes they apply sometimes they don't apply so bear with me because it won't all be perfect but because it isn't a perfect it isn't a perfect science I think so that's interesting straight yeah. away that's good for people to know Thank exactly you. yeah yeah so a mineral is a substance with a defined homogeneous chemical composition so in this instance I'd say to you that silica is a mineral so you would know that as quartz right mm. so silica is the original mineral so rocks then are typically this is not always this is a looser term typically an aggregate of two or more minerals on a larger scale so if you had a sandstone those are little tiny bits of quartz which is the mineral kind of packed into a rock there we are and then crystals are a mineral when presented with a growth habit right so crystals minerals when they're given the opportunity grow in a geometric inorganic structure which is basically like an organized lattice of atoms so if you give a crystal the opportunity to grow like that so if you give it the environment of um minerals precipitating out of solution in a fluid and warmth and you give it a void in which it can grow crystals grow naturally and you get these that's when you would get clusters and and points and and beautiful like drews and things like that so that's when they're given the opportunity to grow in voids um so there you are there's some terminology i'm really you. nodding guys <laughs> i'm nodding on everybody's behalf right now so yeah so the mineral would be silica the rock would be sandstone and the crystal would be a quartz cluster or a quartz point so then i'm going to split down into sedimentary igneous and metamorphic so we'll start actually we'll start with igneous because i think those are the minerals that perhaps everyone thinks of first so amethyst i've already mentioned amethyst amethyst tip most typically forms in igneous hydrothermal environments so igneous rocks are rocks that are have been formed because there's been molten lava at some point or magma in the earth's crust and that has cooled and what you're left with there is an igneous rock so if you've ever heard of basalt or granite or dolerite mm. those are igneous rocks you may have come across those before so your amethysts quartzes citrine smoky quartz apophyllite crystals like that they all form it within when you have an igneous event so if you have a lava flow flowing along that's full of gas bubbles lava is it depends on what type of lava but a certain percentage of lava is always boiling hot gas right so that comes together in bubbles so when these lava flows solidify you get these cavities these voids inside of the lava flows left over left behind so if you kind of like cheese if you were to cut a cross section through cheese and there's all these tunnels running through it those would be they're called amygdaloids right so after the lava has solidified a bit you have hydrothermal fluids running through rocks right so when when rocks are deep under the ground there's fluids moving through them they're quite warm because they're under pressure if you think of a hot spring this is the kind of environment we're thinking of within those fluids there are minerals dissolved so uh, hot springs again if you ever go to a hot spring there's the loads of minerals in the water right because it's it's got all these minerals in solution so when when the hydrothermal fluid is moving through these voids as it starts to cool minerals precipitate out of solution and that would be when if you have a lot a, a particularly large amount of silica precip precipitating out of solution you'd end up with quartz clusters growing in a in a in a geode that's what a geode is so when you have these caverns these voids filled with crystals there's drews growing around the outside so it's precipitation are... it's the water exactly. going up and that's well, like it's a circle yes yeah yeah so there's yeah. so there's water has filled these voids and then as the minerals have precip precipitated out of solution yeah. they're growing at the margin of these voids and the water moves away without the minerals in it anymore and that's that's how you get geodes that is how you get amethyst churches that makes so much sense now <laughs> so yeah. much sense there you are so that is within igneous rocks or it, it, the igneous environment for minerals forming i'd say there's hydrothermal so those are your crystals like that where you get really beautiful you get points and crystal habits forming and then there's also igneous environments where you get more rough 
crystals forming. So if you have your rough rose quartz, your rough amethyst, um, kunzites, fluorites, they they can form like that where they're still in an igneous environment, but they're not formed through hydrothermal fluid precipitation. So those are often formed. Give an example being rose quartz in Madagascar that is found in like a mass form. Um, it, that's in Madagascar. There's a part of Madagascar is made up of a pegmatite, which is basically a very large unit of igneous rock that has taken a very very long time to cool so the crystals have had a chance to get really really big inside of it because crystal size is dictated by speed of cooling so if you have a rock that cools really quickly the crystals are going to be absolutely tiny versus if you have a rock that takes hundreds of thousands of years to cool down from being molten the crystals yeah the crystals have had mm. longer and longer to gather all the atoms together and the, and the crystals get bigger and bigger so a pegmatite is defined as when is it an igneous rock where the crystals are all over a centimetre long? I think that's the scientific definition. So in Madagascar, there's pegmatites. That's where your rose quartz is formed. So, um, yeah, so it, yeah, Madagascar, it's a metamorphic and igneous Precambrian basement. So the rocks in Madagascar can be up to three billion years old. <laughs> And that yeah, is where, such much longer well, than that, is yeah. it? <laughs> Not much older. Well, only a bit, only a billion oh, yeah. years. Few, older few, than few that. more billion. <laughs> <laughs> only one billion years, more, years older than that. Yes. Um, but that is where rough rose quartz come from rough rose quartz comes from, that igneous environment. It's really interesting. So the rose quartz in that environment, um, rose quartz is is quartz and it has it shows up as pink because the crystals have had so long to develop that they've formed inside of them these fibrous long fibrous rows of silica atoms basically silica molecules and they refract pink light back at you so that is what show makes rose quartz show up as pink that is also what if you ever have a polished sphere of madagascan rose quartz sometimes it has um Asterism, which is where a star, it, you can see a star yeah. in it. So if you can see a six pointed star, that is what is, that's why is because those fibers have lined up and that's how it's bouncing light back to you, which I found that really interesting when I researched into that. Can I ask a <laughs> random question that you may or may not know the answer to? But for some, someone like me, I'm now seeing a visual of a gorgeous, the earth, you know, basically a vein of pink rose quartz is that the mm. right phrase is this a vein well that's something else it not in this instance a vein is is more indicative of a hydrothermal environment so a vein would be if there was a fracture within rock and that therefore there was a fluid pathway so the fluid is able to move through this fracture and then it leaves minerals right. behind as it's traveling Thank rose you. quartz it's found more in like a mass sense but some people i think the term might be pluton which again, I am I am three, two or three years out of university at this point. So I'm slightly rusty on no, all, we're of my, all, still very impressed. all of my <laughs> igneous good. terminology. I think it's a pluton. So it's more, if you imagine more of like a, a balloon, basically, if you've blown up a balloon and the top of it is, is relatively flat, right, on a balloon, and that has like pushed up to almost to the surface of the crust, and then you have this mass underneath it. That yeah, is how that makes yeah. sense. That's, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Because vein, right. I think, gets used a lot within yeah. crystal healing, especially like when yeah. we're trying to describe where things come from. And it's nice to know it's not, there's more to it. Yeah. That. Yeah. It really depends on the mineral. I imagine, I think also, it, it, what I love about geology is that even if rose quartz forms that way in Madagascar, that's not always how rose quartz forms. It's not always the same. It's not a perfect science. And I think if you try and apply too rigid of a of, of a boundary and, and a definition to things, it falls apart because it's mother nature and you can't force it into these tiny, tiny so, fascies and these tiny boxes. So it's really interesting once you get into yeah. it, honestly. Goes there on must and on be and on. moments when they're like, right, we're getting somewhere, we understand something, then they find something that's completely dictating something different. 
Exactly. Well, I even as I was researching this, I I was looking into rose quartz and wanted to know about the optical properties, why it shows up as pink. Um, there are some very, very rarely you have what would be referred to as rose quartz forming in geode form. So you get points and clusters and everything. And, and I think it was about 2002, some German mineralogists advised that we reclassify that as a completely different mineral because it forms in such a different way. It has different optical properties. The only similarity is that it's pink. That's it. But that's nobody's really ever gotten round to that, actually. So even things like that, where, you know, a mineralogist at some point has said that that's actually a different thing. We can't we can't call that the same thing. And then it's never actually come to fruition. Things like that. It's really interesting. Oh, everybody's <laughs> going to have questions for you. Yeah. Sorry, I've interrupted. <laughs> no, don't worry. Right. Well, that's OK. So those are a lot of your igneous minerals there's there are many more as well because every time i think of a mineral there's about three more that i could talk about so it, i could go on forever but i'm going to go on to metamorphic ones so these are more you know, i think you'll notice a difference in like the physical form of these minerals metamorphic minerals include uh, your kyanites uh, schists garnets and rubies so these metamorphic minerals they're formed during uh, mountain building events Right, which which in geology we call that regional metamorphism, which is basically when there are crustal like plate movements. If you've heard of plate tectonics, I'm sure most most people have heard of plate tectonics. Um, when plates move towards each other and they collide, there are tremendous parallel pressures within the Earth's crust. Um, that lowers the melting point of minerals um, and promotes mineral growth. So you get a lot of minerals forming, and they are typically because they've been squashed. Basically, if you can imagine kind of like the pages of a book if they've been squashed they all lay in the same direction because they've been aligned or or if i don't know a plate of rice or something if you're going to squash it sideways they'd all start pointing up and down yeah that makes sense them. so if you when you look at kyanite it grows in kind of fibers it's very it, you get kyanite blades don't you when you when you can purchase kyanite so that's why it grows like that is because the the plane of compression has been coming at it from its sideways and then it's growing elongated like that you typically get we source our kyanite from either india or brazil these are both regions that have got undergone massive mountain building events india probably it's the himalayas the base mountain range on earth brazil slightly slightly smaller mountain range but still you know still formed in that in that setting of plate tectonics um garnets these are a really interesting metamorphic mineral um when you compress slate so what what some of the roofs in Britain are made out of slate. Um, well, if you compress slate enough, you can form garnets out of it. Wow. Right. Because I know, I know, which <laughs> don't go trying this with your I was gonna say, is that a thing we can all be doing? <laughs> no. I think, well, I mean, you'd need like literally the 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 pressures of a tectonic <laughs> belt. So well, maybe don't try that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Um yeah so if you there's a there's a series in metamorphic geology that goes all the way from shale is the original sedimentary rock if you compress that a tiny bit it turns into slate if you compress it a bit more it turns into phyllite and then if you compress it a bit more again it turns into schist which i don't know if you will have heard of but if you buy um we sell some rough garnets and there's mica like flaking off That's the outside of them is it mica? exactly yeah schist yeah. is made up of layers and layers and layers of mica so again another mineral that it's it grows in these beautiful long layers and that's because it's been compressed from sideways i know well i love schist is just beautiful if you um you can google that and you can see it's like this lovely metallic mineral and then it's got these big rube, uh, big garnets in it and it's just it's lovely it looks like a slice of cake <laughs> so so yeah so kyanite i already mentioned kyanite kyanite is what happens if you uh metamorphose clay rich minerals uh so it's aluminium based um i should say as well that when you find garnets in schist that's called a porphyroblastic texture so in geology in general if you have really big crystals sitting adjacent to little tiny crystals all around it that texture is defined as porphyroblastic yeah that's that's my section on metamorphic minerals if you've got any questions on that one <laughs> i love that right, can i share something just to show how beautifully what you're saying morphs into crystal properties that i would be speaking about especially with mica and the sheets of mica mm. and like you're saying about the pressure that they're put under to because they would in theory if there was no pressure they would 
be tiny sheets that would just drop away from each other, wouldn't they? Mm, but they yes. stay together. So you may have already heard this, but it's nice for people to hear how what you're saying is actually a direct connection to a lot of crystal properties. And mica is the crystal of wanting more community because it it for one, its atoms are formed in a particular way where the structures aren't strong and it, it can fall away, isn't it? Like it's got that. It needs to stay together through pressure. Mm. Therefore, its connections aren't as strong as other crystals. So it wants more connection in its life. And it wow. does that with us brings people to us or gives us the confidence especially the yellow mica to go out and make more connections and especially in lockdown people really were drawn to that crystal wanting that connection after it being taken away from them so I just want to so for those wondering how is this relevant within um maybe very if they're very crystal therapy focused it is so relevant it literally is the reason for a majority of the properties it's just going that bit deep all right i will let you keep going well no that is really interesting because on a chemical level mica mica is the way it is where it, it's called um like pages of mica even where you can literally mm. peel them off of each other because it's bonded in one direction so it's bonded laterally but there are no bonds between the layers it only is able the molecule is only able to bond sideways like that that's and you're talking about bonding that is so interesting isn't it <laughs> and it was um i was saying to you beforehand i read ridiculous amount of crystal books obviously spend a lot of time with crystals and channel crystals and all of that and it came through separately then i started to be like how are these crystals made how are they mm. formed and the amount of times i was like literally the overarching properties uh, lapis lazuli metamorphic rock being formed together with lots of other rocks it's amazing at change because it's already mm. gone through great change itself so there's all these different sorry keep going hun it's no. just lovely hearing well, you it's... affirm the information <laughs> it's really it's really interesting to hear actually really interesting Coffee break time as I share with you some big news. Next year, January 2024, we will be launching the Crystal Mystery School Practitioner course. This is a 12-week fully accredited course with many modules not yet seen in other crystal courses. Now, if you want to be the first to hear about this launch, Press pause on this podcast, head to the show notes where you'll find a link to sign up for the waiting list. Then come back and continue this episode. And of course, if you have any questions, you can send me a DM at Gemma Petherbridge on Instagram. Now back to the episode. I've done igneous and metamorphic um, sedimentary onto sedimentary crystals and minerals. So probably the ones you've heard of the most that are formed in sedimentary environments, um, celestine, selenite, gypsum, uh, halite, which is Himalayan salt, uh, calcites, uh, yeah, minerals like that. So generally kind of similar to within igneous hydrothermal mineral precipitation, mm -hmm. these sedimentary minerals are formed if you have, um, again, water. So often these are formed in coastal regions. So selenite, comes from Morocco typically that's formed in a coastal region where there will have been lagoons of water where the marine supply has been cut off from them and the water has begun to evaporate so evaporation overtakes replenishment rate and minerals precipitate out of solution much like with hydrothermal but it's less to do with the heat involved it's more to do with the evaporation so um yeah, so evaporite minerals, there's a series where if you have it, I think it's called a sabka, which is basically a, a coastal lagoon in a, in a beautiful, warm, tropical region. If that's cut off from the sea and the water begins to evaporate, you get a series of minerals being deposited. So first you get calcium carbonate, then you get gypsum over the top, which selenite is a type of gypsum. And then last of all, you get halite, which is Himalayan salt. So that's how those kind of minerals are formed. They're a result of concentration and crystallation via evaporation <laughs> which is a lot of shins oh, <laughs> but yeah if that makes sense so the minerals become more and more concentrated in this water which is evaporating away they crystallize they move out of precipitation and it's all via evaporation <laughs> say that when you're drunk hey that is gonna be an absolute tongue tie <laughs> love it um calcite is quite similar calcite is a marine precipitate um, beds of calcite build up 
in marine waters uh, that typically happened during the Ordovician and Jurassic period. So the Ordovician started 480 million years ago and the Jurassic started 201 million years ago. Um, so the beds of calcite, we typically source our calcite from Mexico. So that's when that's when that calcite was put down. It's this is these are called biogenic rocks, calcites, things like that. So because the organisms in the water at that time were had a lot of calcium, they were absorbed, they used a lot of calcium in their in say in their day-to-day -day living, like whilst they were going around. Like biologically on a biologically on a biological level, they had a lot of calcite. So when these when these organisms died and the life cycle carried on and they sunk to the bottom of the ocean, that's when you get these beds of calcite being built up. Um, coloured calcites are due to the impurities, just depending on the environment. Orange calcites, like citrine calcite, orange calcite, any kind of calcite that's got like that orangey, yellowy tone to it, that's but if it's been formed in a very iron-rich environment, which is quite interesting. Same for selenite. Selenite, again, you can get orange selenite. That's if it's got iron molecules hanging around in it, which, incidentally, I, what I didn't mention it earlier, but that's why amethyst shows up purple is amethyst is just uh, purple quartz essentially. And the reason why it's purple is because there's iron molecules suspended within the silica la lattice basically. Mm -hmm. So it refracts light back to you and you see it as purple. So it's really interesting about the, the yeah. when there's little tiny impurities that you wouldn't think would make much of a difference and it actually makes an enormous difference, really fascinating. Another, sediment set of sedimentary minerals jaspers mm -hmm. Every, everybody's got jasper um jasper is just a microcrystalline quartz um color the cut different various different colors and patterns they're based on inclusions impurities what the original sediment it was made out of might have looked like some jaspers are made out of ash some jaspers are made out of it's more like just soil um so that jaspers actually are in the banded iron formations which is a very significant geological formation found all over the world which is basically an indication that 2.4 billion years ago we started to get more oxygen in the atmosphere which was very important for everything that's happened ever humans, since yeah? yes exactly well that and the rest of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly incredibly important event and they are preserved by layers of jasper that we found there's some in australia there's some in canada i think yeah very interesting so um, that's when when they see that they're seeing the line of when that yes so you going. get yes you kind of it's kind of like a tiger um transition where you have like a red band brownish band red band brownish band and the red bands i think again this is this i'm three years out of of, of listening to this in a lecture but i'm pretty sure when there was a lot of oxygen in the atmosphere things there started being free oxygen and things were able to rust so that's when you have this reddish tone starting to come through sense. on things. Yeah. yeah. And that the being oxygen in the atmosphere meant that uh, the atmosphere before that was very acidic. I think it's sort of methane. And it meant that nothing really could live out of the sea. Nothing, mm. you know, it was very harsh, very, very harsh environment. And, uh, and the earth was very hot as well because there was so much methane in the atmosphere. When there was more oxygen in the atmosphere, that meant that the earth could cool down a bit. Things could come out of the sea. Things could start to use oxygen in their life cycle in the in how they make energy and how they you know photosynthesize and eat and everything um and it was cold enough to actually live on land as opposed to being trapped in the ocean so when microorganisms started coming out of out of the sea that was that's really really key to that and that is preserved in jaspers <laughs> just love that crystal even more than i did yesterday <laughs> thank you well i thought it's kind of i for me it's one of the more boring ones so i was really delighted to read that yeah that's amazing <laughs> so yeah that's my i've tried to segment it down again it's not perfect because sometimes sometimes you get fluorites forming in sedimentary environments but sometimes they're in igneous environments etc cetera, etc cetera. it goes on there you can't put them perfectly into boxes but that's my best shot dividing it down into three <laughs> thank you so much when all of that happens if they find something that's like hold on this looks like this but it shouldn't be here mm. does that mean it has to go through the, the checking process to make sure they are correct is that a new or is that a bit of yeah well work it out when you get there well i it's difficult it it 
that really calls back to what I said about um, the rose quartz forming in geodes. Mm -hmm. That in two thousand and two, people scientists were saying this isn't this isn't what everybody else recognizes typical rose quartz to be like. The optical properties are different. It it performs differently under a microscope. It's not rose quartz. And then nobody's really ever gotten around to putting more rigid boundaries wow. onto it so there is a lot of i think things do get discovered and they look a bit like something else and you think oh yeah i'll slap that label on it and i perhaps on a more scientific level they are not okay. that other thing yeah that's interesting <laughs> so does some sometimes they go i'm thinking of um pink amethyst geodes that they seem to have been found and well, sort of crystals that were found and have gained a name and they seem to be a thing quite quickly mm. from what you're saying maybe some things get like literally get dropped to a side and forgotten about which seems mm. or just like yes that's good enough we'll come back to it at some point mm. um yeah okay yeah it is really interesting Emily, feel free to work some of that out and tell <laughs> us all about it at some point in the future because that's a that's a, a book in itself that sounds huge because I know um, <laughs> when I do my research they talk about the fact that there are thousands of minerals and crystals and like formations and, and it sounds like there's also probably more but it's mm. trying to understand it which is amazing okay so Absolutely, yeah next question how do geo i'm assuming it's geologists who go out to find the new the new crystals in the ground i could be completely wrong there this is something i really want to learn about myself <laughs> where would they go or how would they start to find these new deposits so what i'd say is that most of the time for most of the mineral resources that we use today most of the ones that people are familiar with often because these are quite well we we tend to focus on actually smaller more artisanal communities that the industry that's come out of that is often it's been discovered basically from pre-existing ways of using the land so if people were um agri agri aggregate i know ag like agriculturing farming so if people were farming the land um obviously if people you know people have lived there for hundreds of years they know what's lying around i know that the Brazilian amethyst geode fields. So mm. what, you know, if people have got amethyst geodes, that's probably where they're coming from. Everybody is familiar with Brazilian amethyst. Those, the economic value of that resource was only really discovered there was a German settlement landed there in um, the mid 1900s, I think, um, and thought, these can be imported back to Europe. These can be that we can make yeah. money off of this. And prior to that, that was, I think, uh, can you imagine that just being what the ground is like for where you live? And it just being like, oh, yep, yeah, no, that's the ground normal. Circles. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Fine. There's that's these amazing. geos hanging around. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so that's probably on a more of a smaller scale. The scale that you're talking about, so that's called mineral exploration. Mm -hmm. So what people would do is you would analyse geological maps. You, If I know that, that rose quartz forms within pegmatites of a certain age, I would sweep geological maps looking for pegmatites of that certain age in, in geological mapping and geological literature. Um, if I came up and found something like that, I, then you would charter like a drilling exploration to there. Um, what I do know is that only 1% of um, site investigations, so only 1% of, of drilling investigations when doing mineral exploration actually result in finding the mineral that they're looking for. So that's pretty crazy. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah, 1%. Yeah. Um, yeah, because of course it is an incredibly economically viable resource to look into. So okay. there's, people have been very, people have staked a lot of money on that. I've been very interested in that, but it is only 1% um, that are successful. Um, and, and so uh, did you ask how they're removed from the ground as well? I was going to, yeah. Yes, please, definitely. <laughs> you can see where I was going next. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, well, again, that kind of depends on the type of formation. So if you have more massive, um, massive formations, so if you're talking about like your rough rose quartz or your selenite beds or your halite, uh, Himalayan salt beds, things like that, where they're not really in veins, they're more in big, massive beds. That might be more of a quarrying approach. So you do see in Mexico when the calcites are quarried out, that is 
um, you know, what a big, big quarry looks like where they're digging down um, and removing from the sides of it. Then if you go on to more, more of the hydrothermal, hydrothermally precipitated minerals, those it's more of like an underground with a pickaxe situation because you've got to go in and find those specific veins they're much smaller so that like the hot you don't want the whole ground in those environments you don't want you don't need everything that's there you're looking for those specific more specific little pockets yeah, of minerals yeah if you've ever watched um like an opal hunting yeah program a bit like that so exactly so if you're if you're you know you're looking for the looking for the tiny shimmer that would be what it's like. It also reminds me of um, in Arkansas when they're looking for the quartz clusters. Those quartz clusters, they've already been, I believe they've already sort of been eroded previously, like thousands of years ago, and then been recovered with mud because they're hoiking them out of mud, which they won't have grown like that originally. They will have grown into cavities because they wouldn't be able to grow. Yeah, that's properly. interesting. So they've there's been an earth movement in the past that's well, helping them now, do you think? Well, yes, yeah, I suppose so, yeah, because it would be a lot easier. The videos I've seen, it's a lot easier to mm. remove um, quartz crystals from from mud than it would be to to pickaxe them out of hard rock. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure. That might be like a quaternary event, so that's what we would say. That's what a geologist would say if it's happened within the last few thousand years or a quaternary or a tertiary event. Um, so it's not – that's less on the scale of geological time and that being like hundreds of thousands to millions of years, and that's an event kind of you know maybe within the last ice age or something like that which is relatively recent i know i know that most people wouldn't consider that recent i would consider that re recently right because <laughs> you were mentioning billions billions yeah, your expansion is a lot greater than this <laughs> exactly. normally yeah exactly um yeah so it really depends depends on the environment as well some some minerals if they're found in um fluvial environments so if you're looking for agate agate smooth stones or pebbles uh, fluvial environment is a riverbed or a, or a historic oh. a, a historic riverbed if you ever i don't know if you've ever come across that term before um so sometimes the minerals have been have been exposed for you and polished for you it very that much depends just be so magical yeah, I know. <laughs> have you ever done that in the past i have yeah i have done that sort of thing yeah <laughs> love to do that one day okay so imagine for those listening we've gone out found the crystals hopefully took them out the ground in mm. on your courses in the past would you have been taught I'm presuming you would how to care for things correctly how to hold things because by the time they get to market we're all just picking up the crystals aren't we but is there mm. a actually better way to work with them well what I would say is just just mentioning about people going out and finding things i actually when i was when i started at university they recommended that we buy a geologist's hammer which is essentially it's a it's a hammer and it's a tool to be able to split open rocks in the field and and be able to take samples and everything and i actually was never given the opportunity to use it because everywhere we went to was a protected site and we were not allowed mm. to be going around taking things so i would be really wary or mindful or respectful even if you nice. are going out and looking for things just be aware of where you are because sometimes sites are protected sometimes the materials there are designated for scientific value or scientific use and they're not always unfortunately because i love taking rocks from places are we allowed to on the, on the local beach or is that a bit of a well it depends some beaches some beaches do have um like preservation rules and there are signs because they are worried about coastal erosion so if you take too many of the stones then it, it does it crazy it's crazy but it's like the butterfly effect if you take too many hard harder stones off the top of a beach the beach can be and en ended up being eroded away which that's kind of that's you know quite a dramatic yeah but i guess if, it's like if you're just going to take every day for yeah. exactly 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 so just maybe just be aware of that not to put anyone off no, rock it's handling, but <laughs> just to be aware of that i'd say um proper ways to handle rocks and minerals with respect really gently um a lot of stuff a lot of material that you find can be quite fragile at work even you know material that's come all the way from brazil it's still quite fragile um a lot of crystals you shouldn't expose them to water. So I know often if they're dusty or they're muddy or something that, that you want to give it a quick wash. Um, a quick wash probably would be all right. But like pyrites, hematites, they will rust. 
um, selenites, gypsum. If you leave them in water, they will dissolve and you won't have a crystal anymore. Yeah, man, so don't do that. Message me. <laughs> yes, I get messages because if we do a live sale and we sell that crystal, I sometimes get people say I tried to cleanse it in water and I'm oh, like, no. Oh. <laughs> it disappears guys do yeah. not do it have you seen that video of the raccoon with the candy floss and it and it drops it into water in it and it's trying to eat it and it just disappears away that's i'm imagining that's, you yes. haven't seen it i want to now though on social media that that is a classic meme this is what happens when i dissolve yeah. my crystal exactly exactly i hope that anyone listening one person even has seen that and they know exactly what i'm talking about um a lot of crystals because of just how the molecules are laid out um they will fade their color will fade in daylight so yeah. if you're keeping your useful crystals on on windowsills or or in in contact with with direct daylight um like amethyst citrines sometimes even rose quartz there are a few accounts of rose quartz going pale after being in contact with sunlight um i have also seen reports that apophyllite becomes brittle after being in sunlight which I, when I was researching this, I could not find any scientific backing for that. So I cannot speak on that. I don't know if anybody has any experience with that. I've just seen the same thing repeated a lot that Apophyllite might become brittle in sunlight. I hope so, people message us if that's yeah. the thing. Or at least send us a photo so yeah. we can see. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I'd say it's probably is quite brittle already. So I don't know how, yeah. <laughs> how much more. I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's how I would I would look after crystals with respect. Um, check if you can get water on them don't keep them in line with direct mm -hmm. daylight all the time um, and enjoy them it's a lovely answer and I definitely <laughs> agree with the direct sunlight I found if it's a transparent crystal that has also got a color to it it's very mm. prone exactly yeah color if it's that is that two things transparency and a color tone so maybe well, it makes sense clear quartz you would not notice probably but there's like fluorite yes i'm very yeah. careful about putting fluorite in the sunlight because it's yeah. just it well, dulls it out quite quick exactly fluorite is very uv reactive if you look at fluorite underneath uh black light or uv lights and it, it glows so it is very responsive to things like that and it is it's the That's uv true. light it's the uv light in sunlight that damages amethyst and things like that that makes sense yeah that was my first lesson about sunlight and crystals was a fluorite crystal so now that makes oh yeah <laughs> okay so to finish um i imagine they've heard me say a lot about if you're getting into crystals what's the first things you could do and obviously it's come from the point of view of someone who's more into the esoteric information so it'd be lovely to hear what a geologist would say to someone getting into crystals and rocks. So, well, I wonder if my response might be quite similar to yours mm -hmm. in that there is no right or wrong way to start. And it really is just about what calls to you and what you're interested in. And maybe what's in your surrounding environment. Maybe if you live, if you live on the South Coast and there's fossils around, mm -hmm. maybe that maybe that's where you want to start. Maybe that's what you're interested in. If you live in Scotland and there's schists and you can find little garnets in Scotland, maybe that's what maybe that's what calls to you first. I don't know. I don't think there is a, a right or wrong way to do it. It really is whatever you enjoy and whatever you find interesting and you look at and you think, yeah, that's cool. I want to, I'm going to take some of that home. I'm going to ignore that sign that says, don't do that. I'm going to take some of that home. Just pretend neither of us said that. There I am saying, get out there. And... <laughs> yeah. Well, no comment. I can't comment. Yeah. I can't go on the record and say that I do these things. Oh, so. Yes. You've uh, slightly there alluded to places in the UK. Mm. I know there's like copper in Cornwall. And like you said, I'm very much from the south. So the fossils and everything. What else mm. is that? I know there's fluorite. Is it Yorkshire? Yes, in Derbyshire, the the, the Blue John fluorite in Derbyshire. So again, I, I mentioned, yeah, it's, it is, it's beautiful. Mentioned um, earlier about uh, fluorite being found in igneous settings. The Blue John fluorite is, that's mm. from hydrothermal really, the hydrothermal fluids moving through limestone so you get the limestone caves and that's where you find the fluorite it's beautiful um i've been up in scotland i've been on field trips and we found tiny little garnets that have fallen out of schists because there's been like rock faces that have been weathered away and the tiny schist crystals have all been collected at the bottom of the rock face which i think that was i did that when i was in my 
second year of university we went on that trip and I came away with a tiny little plastic bag filled with little garnet crystals and I if there was ever any chance of me not being a geologist it, after it was sealed that was after the that, moment, because it was, was it? just amazing it was just amazing and you could see all of the little fa facets on it because it's like it's a hexagonal crystal mm. that grows into little hexagons and you could see them and I just found them on the ground on the side of a mountain it was amazing absolutely amazing um in Yorkshire where I am it's not quite as interesting as that to the geology it's more there's a lot of sandstone here we're on the millstone grit formation um so if you're interested in sandstone it's great if you're not perhaps not so much um yeah people I mean people have uh there's the Dorset chalks the chalk downs um they're in there's some in uh, Hertfordshire as well I believe um there's flint nodules within that some people are interested in flint we recently got some Polish flint in at rock shop um I'm trying to think there's all sorts there's honestly Britain's oh, geology it's not quite as sexy and glamorous as you know Brazilian amethyst geodes but there is stuff out there. If you go looking for it, there is stuff out there. And there's a uh, Scottish agates as well, actually. There's some beautiful agates in Scotland. It's just nice to know what's around you, isn't it? Because near yeah. me, where I'm from, there was the Bath Stone, the famous Bath Stone. But also there was um, an old pile, an old mining pile that I would drive past like a few times a year, kind of mm. an hour away from where I live. But you, you'd clock it. It was so obvious and so mm. prominent turns out that celestite but it's the elite bad quality celestite that they would ground down and use for fireworks oh wow that creates wow. a red, red firework yeah and I learned that a few years ago being in this industry but it's just that like oh that's what's happening yeah. there and actually it's in a beautiful bit of land that isn't far from Stonehenge so that energy would match the area as well so it kind of made sense when I heard that but yeah it's nice to know what we're surrounded by yeah well it is I think being in touch with with where you live um maybe where you grew up or or if you're studying somewhere things like that being in touch being in touch with those places is is lovely and I think it means like you know rock collecting crystal collecting doesn't have to be a really expensive hobby it doesn't have mm -hmm. to break the bank you don't have to buy you know you don't have to start with the amethyst geodes if you're going to start collecting crystals you could go and see if there's any in a riverbed near you you could go and look at some rock faces I would say as well I said about being making sure that you are collecting responsibly or, or or not bashing away scientific material be very wary if people are gonna there are some really fascinating interesting rocks on beaches at the base of cliffs mm. be really wary of that I was always warned very heavily about that you've said that even recently there was a big landslip along the Lyme Regis I think yeah um yeah so just everyone be really careful of that because it's not yeah. worth it no sparkly interesting rock is worth being in a landslip for that's advice to live advice to that live is a by. geologist yeah <laughs> advice yeah but exactly. not that pretty I promise you yeah it's not worth it <laughs> oh. oh thank you for coming back Emily honestly that was so interesting and yeah I love our chats this is brilliant oh, okay so can we finish with you reminding people how they can stay in contact with the rock shop if they'd like to yes absolutely so our website is www.rockshopwholesale.com we are on all popular platforms on social media under rockshop wholesale if you type us in we recently brought in an emailing newsletter so if you're interested in hearing about our newest items showroom events things like that when you go onto our website it will prompt you to sign up you can put your email address in and sign up for that um, you can contact the sales team at sales at rockshopwholesale.com and if you want to open a trade account, if you are a business and you want to open a trade account with us, if you go onto our website up in the top right hand corner, it's up there. Brilliant. Thank you again. Sending love. I'm sure we'll speak to you again at some point in the future with so many more crystal questions. <laughs> Until then, sending my love to everybody else and I'll see you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye.